uh, I remember the first time I spoke on missions. I was single. It was 1990, well, it was 2000. I was 28 years old and I spoke at a camp in Trivandrum in December. The only person here who knows that is, uh, is Benji. He was with us in that camp. And I spoke on missions and that was the year that I met my wife and six months later we were married. So that was quite a powerful sermon that I gave. Right? So you can expect something to happen. You know, not with me, but perhaps somebody here when we speak on missions. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35. The Lord Jesus commands and gives us a mission, a vision and a, a purpose for existence. I wonder if every one of us seated here have understood what is, why am I here? Why did God uh, create me and give me life here on planet Earth? Have you understood that? Have you understood why you've been created, why you've been placed in this assembly, in this locality, uh, in this home, in this company? There is that specific purpose. There's a commission that has been granted to you. The great commission, of course, for all of us, but how we exert, I mean, ex uh, execute that great commission, it's different for every one of us. And through these few verses, I want to try and explain that to you so that each of us may be gripped with that sense that there is a reason why I'm here. There's a reason why I'm here. When the Lord Jesus, you know, the context of this passage is that the Lord Jesus has been uh, walking back and forth throughout Galilee. He's been preaching. He's been healing. Um, you know, he's busy at work. If you go through Mark's gospel, you'll read how uh, you know, this word, then, and then, and then, and immediately, and, and, and the next day, you know, Mark is trying to emphasize that the Lord Jesus is so active as a servant, and he is so busy in his work. One day, he's at Simon Peter's house, and he heals his mother-in-law, and they're just settling down for dinner, and after dinner, they're going to get ready to sleep, and there's this huge crowd standing at the door. The whole town has come to see him. And he goes on to minister to them and he heals them. And right through late into the night. And then it says early in the morning he gets up. Because he needs to spend time with his father. And then the Lord Jesus, uh, the disciples come and they say, Lord, the people are looking for you. He says, no, we need to go to another town today. Because I am needed there also. He's busy. He's busy. There's a sense of purpose when he came. Beloved, that you and I must also be busy like that. Busy, not just in our secular profession, not just in earning money and making a big family and, and a big home and a big house and a big car, but busy about the master's business. You read the first few verses of Matthew chapter 9 and you'll read, you'll see how busy the Lord was. And chapter 9 and verse 35 tells us, He went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. And then, as he get, does that, there's the sense of vision. Did you see that in verse 36? He saw the crowds and he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. If you want to understand what your mission is, first you must have a right vision. A right vision of the people around you, of the people that God has called you to minister. 
the Lord Jesus had that. He saw them as sheep, harassed and helpless. You know, in Psalm 23, there's this verse, He restoreth my soul. What does it mean? Right? The psalmist is King David. And when he looks at a sheep, what does he see? He sees a sheep that's overweight, right? Sheep can't get overweight by overeating because they're only eating grass. What else can they eat? Right? So they're not overweight because of that. They're overweight because of the wool that they're, that they're carrying or because they're pregnant. And if this overweight sheep falls over and his feet are up, his or hers, there's no way that sheep can get up. That sheep can flail all he wants, but there's no way he can get up because he is absolutely helpless. He has no mechanism. There is no strategy for that sheep to be able to get up. The shepherd must come. The shepherd must come. And if the shepherd forgets about him, that's why the shepherd goes, goes looking. And if that shepherd, when he comes, he will restore the sheep. He'll turn the sheep right side up. That's what David meant when he said, he restores my soul. That is a sheep that is, that's so upset. He's flaying about, he's, he's anxious because he is, he's helpless, he can't help himself, he's vulnerable. He's vulnerable to the attacks of the predator. There's nothing he can do. Sheep are, sheep are defenseless. They have no defense mechanism. And, and that's, that's how the Lord saw the people around him. That's how the Lord saw the people around him. My dear brother and sister, I wonder when you see your colleague, your, your neighbor, the person walking on the street, do you see them like that, harassed, helpless? Can you look beyond the facade of the good clothes and the happy uh, jokes and the, uh, and the success that is portrayed on the outside and look at their heart and say, man, that guy is lost. That guy doesn't know my God. He doesn't know my Savior. He doesn't know that he is helpless. These people are harassed and helpless. You know, there was a research done on seminary students. No offense to seminary students, but this research was done in a, in a college. And they said, let's ask 10 seminary students to go and preach about the Good Samaritan. We're going to see their reaction to something. And they said, okay, they selected 10 of them and they said, you need to go to this place on this particular day at this time and go and record a sermon on the Good Samaritan. And as each of them are walking along the path to that room, they kept an actor on the side, right, along the footpath. And as this person would walk by, the actor would suddenly, you know, gasp and he would fall and he would, you know, fall onto the ground and he would, you know, lie there on the ground. And the research showed that the majority of these seminary students, they just jumped over and they walked back, walked over to the, to the hall. You know why? Because they were so worried about the message. They were so worried about preaching. They were so worried about the sermon, that about the Good Samaritan, that they forgot about this man. They didn't have time for this man. Majority of those seminary students. You know, you and I can be like that. We can be so busy in ministry, so busy preparing messages, and so busy in our work, and engaging in our family, and in our education, and all of that, that we forget that there's a purpose where God has kept you. Why God has left you here on earth, 
why God has anointed you, empowered you. There's a reason for that. And it is to be able to share the gospel. Look with spiritual eyes. Look at your neighbor, look at your classmate, look at your colleague, look at your boss with the eyes of the Lord Jesus and see them harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The second picture of a vision he had is in verse 37 of a plentiful harvest. In another passage, the Lord Jesus says that the harvest, the field is what? Ripe. Another passage, he says the field is white unto harvest. What does that mean? White unto harvest. You know, it takes four months for a harvest. For When you sow the seeds of wheat, it'll take about four, or barley, it takes about four months. A few weeks later, wheat will also get ready for harvest. How does the person know that it's ready for harvest? Because some of the, there will be patches in the field where the, the grains and the leaves turn white. You know why they turn white? Only some of them, because they are prematurely dying. Those white patches somewhere here and there are the premature deaths of certain parts. And so the farmer now understands, it's time for me to start cutting. It's ready. It's ready. And what the Lord Jesus was telling the disciples was, telling the apostles was, there are hearts that are ready and receptive. You and I may not know who they are, where they are, but look at your colleague, look at your friend. Don't ever say, oh, this person will never accept the gospel. This person will never be receptive to the gospel. You and I don't know that. The Lord is saying, the Lord is saying there's plentiful, there's a harvest ready to be, uh, to be harvested. There's a field ready to be harvested and laborers are few. Laborers are few. Beloved, if you want to be effective for the kingdom of God, and if you want to understand what is your purpose and you want to understand where you fit in the kingdom, first have this vision. See the world through the eyes of Christ. The vision translates, so an undiluted vision of the law. Secondly, a passionate prayer. Therefore pray, he says in verse 38, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. When was the last time we prayed like that? We pray for so many needs, for jobs, for health, for career, for exams, you know, uh, for marriage, to, to find a life partner. We pray so much for so many of these things. The Lord never said to pray for any of those things. He actually said, pray for harvest, pray for laborers, pray for laborers. You look at all the prayers in the New Testament. They are prayers for the spirit, prayers for the soul, prayer for spiritual insight. I'm going to take you to one of those prayers. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. That's a dangerous prayer. A preacher was walking one day with a... a hundred years ago with fifty dollars in his pocket it was a it was a ministry you know he had done a ministry and they gifted him fifty dollars in his pocket and he was walking and a, and a lady from another church said oh pastor it's so nice to see you you know we are we're having an urgent prayer meeting in our church why don't you come in and pray with us and she said okay I have some time let me come in and pray but he said I don't want to just pray you know um, abstractly we want to pray uh, intelligently so tell me what you're praying for he said we are praying, she said we are praying for $50 to send to the mission, to, to send somebody to the mission field. And we said, okay, let's pray. And they started praying. 
they started praying. And as they were praying for that $50, God was telling, what about that $50 in your pocket? And that man had to take out that $50 and slap it on the table and say, sister, your prayer is answered. Let's stop the meeting. When you pray for missions, when you pray for laborers, when you pray for finances, be careful. Be careful. Because God is pointing at you and saying, you are the source. It's not going to fall from heaven. You are the source. You need to be ready to give. And the Lord is saying, pray. Pray for harvesters. Pray for laborers to come into the vineyard. Come into the vineyard. You need an undiluted vision. You need a passionate prayer. Thirdly, you need a divine commission. Verse chapter 10 and verse 1. He called to them his 12 disciples. And what did he do? He gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. Verse 5, he said, these 12 Jesus sent out. He called them, he empowered them, he gave them authority, and then he sent them out. Sent them out. Matthew chapter 28, the Lord Jesus in the Great Commission, what does it say? Matthew 28, all authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. What is the implication? The authority is there. The authority has been granted to me because of my death and burial and resurrection and ascension. God has granted this authority to me. All authority, all authority is granted to me. Now I am empowering you to go. Empowering you to go. Okay, now come to this prayer. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18. Ephesians chapter 1, Apostle Paul is passionate that the Ephesian believers should know this very, very important truth. Okay, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18 says this. 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. What is this power that is given to you? What is the authority that is given to you? It is the power of the resurrection. The power of the resurrection is something divine. It is not just given to any man. There is no government, there is no person in the universe who has this power. It is a divine power that is at work in you. The power of the resurrection. The power to make dead come to life. To speak into nothing and to create something. Nobody has that power. We have the power to duplicate life. We have the power to clone life. We have the power to reproduce, not to produce. The power to generate life is not given to man. It is divine. And he says, that's the power that is at work in you. There is an immeasurably great power. And Paul is saying, oh, dear believers, I want you to know that. I pray that God will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know this great power that is at work in you. You know, there's power to reproduce, as I said, to regenerate. There's power to heal. There's power to destroy. 
any government in the world today, they are not focusing on the power to heal and to regenerate. They're focusing on the power to destroy. The more power I have to destroy, the more safe they assume they are. But here is a power that is at work in every believer. That's not available to the rest of the world. It's available only in you. In you, in you, in you who have accepted the Lord Jesus as your savior. This power is at work in you to do what? To do what? Chapter 2 and verse 10. We are his workmanship, which God has prepared beforehand. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has already prepared. You, want, you heard about, you remember what I said about purpose. There is a work. There is a work created beforehand that God has designed for you. The work of the kingdom. How do I exhibit that work? How do I, in chapter 3 onwards, he says, walk in the newness of life. That means you need to put aside these dead works, you know, the works of, uh, of death that you used to live in, works of evil and unrighteousness that produce death. You, know, you get rid of it and God wants you to work in the new, walk in the newness of life. There is power to walk in the newness of life. There is power to walk in light, no longer to walk in darkness, no longer to do things in darkness, in secret, because they are shameful. There is power to get over that and to walk in light. There is power to walk in love in the church so that there, is, there should be uh, no, not even a, a hint of immorality or impurity in the church. God has given you the power to walk in love towards your fellow brethren. The power to walk, walk in wisdom to the outside world, to be very discerning, discerning the times and how you speak, season your speech with salt so that you know, you're able to win them for Christ. You discern how you're supposed to speak. There is power to walk in wisdom. No longer do you have to, no longer will you, speaking, will you be speaking foolishly. God gives you the power to walk in wisdom. Finally, the power to walk submissively in the family. Submissively. How do I walk submissively? Wives, respect, reverence your husbands. Husbands, sacrificially love your wives. Children, lovingly obey your parents. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Masters, employers, treat your employees with respect because they are your fellow believers, knowing that you know, they see you as in place of Christ. Employees, treat your bosses, your masters with respect. God gives you the power to do that. God gives you the power to do that. The power of the resurrection is at work in you to walk in newness of life, to walk in light, to walk in love, to walk in wisdom, to walk submissively. Great power is at work. That is why you and I cannot say, well, that's who I am. You better accept me as I am. I can't say that anymore. I can't say, you know, that's my weakness. I can't say that. As a believer, I can't say that because the power of the resurrection is working in me to transform me, to enable me to walk in the way that God wants me to walk. 
to perform the deeds that he wants me to perform and to do the things that he wants me to do. That is a divine commission. Divine commission. Many, many years ago when I was in Manipal, I think I've shared this with you. I, when I was in Manipal, I, I worked out my own mission statement. Right? A mission statement. That's, I believe, crit critical for every one of us. You know, a mission statement that will direct your path. It's, it's, uh, your job is part of it, your family is part of it, your location is part of it, and every ministry in the church that you do is part of it, even in society. Develop a mission statement that is God-centered, that will enable you to focus, to be able to say yes when you're asked to do something, and no when that's not part of your primary mission. It'll give you such direction, such clarity of thought for what kind of job to take, what kind of company to work for, you know, what kind of church to be part of. When I have a selection to go to a particular place, this mission statement will help me to do that. To be part of a particular organization or service, even social service outside, to be part of that. You notice that the Lord Jesus was not just preaching the gospel. What else was he doing? What else was he doing? He was healing. He was healing. He was casting out demons. And what did he tell the disciples to do? Go and preach? No. Not just that. Right? Cast out demons. Heal every sickness. So there is an impact of the gospel in our social lives. If I'm not concerned about the weaker brother, if I'm not concerned about those who are socially and economically weaker than me, the gospel has no impact. You know? The gospel has no impact. It must be, it is exhibited through my involvement and through the church's involvement in social work. In social work. I must reach out practically to those who are weaker than me. An effective ministry requires an undiluted vision, a passionate prayer, a divine commission. Fourthly, a specific objective. Verse 6, 10 verse 6. He says, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He said, the Lord Jesus specifically said, go nowhere near the Gentiles and enter into no town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of the house of this particular short-term mission that the Lord empowered the disciples to do, you know, it had a specific target. You know, and while the commission, great commission is given to all of us to go into all the world, every single one of us has a target audience. God gives you that passion, that burden for a specific group of people or groups of people that you, know, you need to minister to. There's a specific objective. Because God knows we are finite. You can't stretch yourself out too much. Right? And it's tied to your mission statement. There's a specific group of people that God is empowering you to do. And that has developed over time in your life as you have you know, gone through experiences in your life. You've listened to sermons. You've done this and that. And that, you know, your mind and your, your faculties have been geared towards that. And you need to understand, refine it, understand what that is, and then go ahead and minister. Align yourself with people who are already doing that kind of work. You find tremendous. God empowers us, each of us, differently. He gives us spiritual gifts 
so that we may execute that according to the ability that God. It is the grace of God that gives us that and he enables us, empowers us, a specific objective. 10 verse 7, a single message. A single message, verse 10, sorry, 10 verse 7. 10 verse 7, proclaim as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Proclaim as you go, the kingdom of heaven. There's only one message. The message is Christ and Christ alone. Apostle Paul said that, isn't it? When he uh, wrote to the Corinthians, he says, I don't want to know anything else fr from you or about you or in you except Christ and him crucified. In all our social activities and our preaching, there must be a very clear, undiluted, single message. And that is, it is the love of Christ that is constraining me to come to you. That there is only one way of salvation. That, that, that salvation is found in the Lord Jesus Christ, in his death and in his resurrection. A single message. I pray that when you get involved in the church, in society, even as you impact your neighborhood and your, your neighbors, your classmates, your colleagues, that this single message emanates from your life. Emanates from your life. I'm sure as you look back, you will, you will think about a hundred opportunities that God gave you to share the gospel. Hundred missed opportunities. People who were in need around you, who came and spoke and there were these opportunities that, you know, you could have shared the gospel. You could have shared about why you do what you do. What is the solution to their struggle? And you could have shared the gospel. Beloved, God gives us untold numbers of opportunities. You have to be discerning. That's why he says, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. Be discerning. And understand when to, when to bring the gospel. When to appropriately bring the gospel. Because that is your, that is your mandate. That is your mandate. A single message. Number six, a confident faith. Look at what it says in verse, um, verse eight. He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers. Cast out demons. You received without paying. Give without pay. Give generously. Give of your time, your energy. Don't be selfish in saying, oh, I need some me time. I need some this time. I need to relax. I need this, this spa time. He says, you've, been, you've received it without paying anything. You've received this glorious opportunity. You give. Spend yourself. Spend yourself in the declaration of the gospel. Spend yourself, right, as uh, Jim Elliot said. Anyone knows that? Right? He is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain, right, to gain in eternity what he cannot get. Right? What he, uh, something, whatever. Right? But you're giving up you know, you're giving up things that, you know, uh, you're trying to keep to yourself. Oh, my money. I need to save up this much money. Otherwise, when I retire, I won't have enough. I need to save up for my children, save up for this house. Give. Give. Give to the gospel. 
Give it. Use your car. Use your house. Use your time for the gospel. Give it because it's not yours to keep. Don't be selfish. Give it. Give your life. Did you really sing song number two today? Did you really sing song number two? Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also. Did you sing that? The body they may kill. Did you really sing that? That's what God wants. That's what Martin Luther did, the one who wrote this hymn. He sacrificed his life on the, fire, on the pyre. Give. Give your life. There is nothing greater. There is nothing greater that you can invest in than the kingdom of God. I always, you know, this powerful image in Daniel of uh, this huge statue of gold and silver and bronze and metal and, you know, metal and clay representing the kingdoms that you and I try to create in this world. Kingdoms of family and houses and second house and third house and, you know, children and grandchildren, kingdoms, dynasties. What happened to that statue? A stone came. A stone from heaven came. That stone hit the statue at its feet. And what happened to that statue? It all crumbled, became dust. It became dust. And the wind swept over it and it was not to be seen. Not to be seen. Every empire, every emperor that tried to create a dynasty and a kingdom for himself, they have failed miserably because there is only one kingdom that will last. What is it? The kingdom of God. That, that stone cut not by human hands, it grew into a mountain that filled the earth. What are you investing in? I'm investing in, you know, mutual funds and this and that, so my money will grow. I'm investing in this and that. I'm investing in new cars and new technology. I'm investing in this and that because, you know, I want my kingdom to grow. The word of God is so clear. It, the word came to that Nebuchadnezzar who was, you know, uh, one of the greatest rulers of that time. Said Nebuchadnezzar, your dreams of kingdoms will perish. You humble yourself, kneel before this God whose kingdom rules forever. Before this God whose kingdom rules forever. Give a confident faith. And let me close quickly. A contentment. Verse 11. He says, no bag. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, no two tunics, nor sandals, nor a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. When you enter the house, greet it. Be content. Be content. Your ministry is not to gain house of gold and silver. You don't have to store up for that. It says God is going to miraculously provide for you. I'm a testimony to that. God will miraculously provide for you as, as you step out into his work, even when you're a secular, uh, in the secular field, God will miraculously provide. 
And he says, you don't have to store up all these things. You know, many of us think that, oh, I need to save some wealth and then I'll step out into ministry. Many retire from the army, get a pension and say, now I'm going to serve the Lord. Right? Doesn't work. You step out when the Lord calls you. And I'm not talking about everyone stepping out, even in your secular work. I know, when I was a lecturer in uh, Manipal, we spent all that we had for the young people. All that we had. Didn't save a, didn't save a penny. Right? Even today, we don't save, we, we have, we're not able to save anything. Because we're just giving. Giving for the work. Giving for the Lord. Right? Give it. Give it and the Lord will miraculously provide. You know my testimony. How I came from, you know, uh, Manipal to Clarence High School. And when I came... You know, little did I realize that, you know, God is going to, there's going to be a need in my life which even I cannot in my wildest dreams think that I can meet that need, my transplant. But even before I could decide to go ahead with the transplant, God miraculously made all the resources available. Miraculous. Miraculous. You know, God will supply your need. I have a staff nurse in my school. She came with humility and gave a thousand rupees for my transplant. I'm the principal. And she said, sir, this is for your transplant. That's how God provides. Give, be content with whatever you have because God is going to provide. You know the principle of the Sabbath, right? Do you keep the Sabbath? We don't. We are Christians. We don't keep the Sabbath. We, don't have, we are not required to. But the principle of the Sabbath is what? The principle of the Sabbath is you keep that one day free. And you trust God to provide for your needs. I'm not saying don't work on, the, on, on Sunday. The principle is this. Why would the Jew not work on a Sabbath? It's the seventh day. It's, it's one more day for him to earn something. Imagine a laborer. He is getting his wages at the end of the day. For the seventh day, if he says don't work, he, does, he has no money for food for that day. No money. 52 days of the year, right? Who is the good mathematician? 365, 52 divided by 365 is how much? It's about 20%. 20% of the year you're not working and you're saying what you're effectively saying is God I trust you to provide for my needs when God says you sanctify that day and keep it holy you spend time with me you spend time with your family you spend time with the church of God keep that day Keep that time in your life. Keep that aside for God. God is saying, you trust me to provide for you. Trust me to provide for you. A contentment, you know, in the ministry. And finally, an audience that is receptive. If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, first it says, if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. If it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. If, they, if they, anyone will not receive you or listen to your word, shake off the dust from your feet and when you leave that house or town, truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. You go and preach. You go and preach. If somebody says, dude, I'm not interested, 
Oh, that's okay. That's okay. You back off. You back off. But you go ahead and present. Whenever you have the chance, you go ahead and present. If the Lord has prepared that person's heart, he will be receptive and he will come to faith. And as, as we know from the scriptures, you know, it's a series of events, as Apostle Paul said. Somebody waters, somebody sows, somebody waters, somebody digs the ground. Lord gives the increase. The Lord gives the increase. We don't know which part I'm playing. Am I the sower? Am I the waterer? Am I the, am I the, the, the digger? We don't know when that person will come to Christ. It is in God's hands. But you trust God and you do your work. Know your mission, dear brother and sister. Be active because this is the biggest, greatest enterprise that you can invest your time and money in. May the Lord bless us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves before you because very often our eyes are clouded, blinded, because of the pressures of this life, this world, because of the competition to be like the Joneses, because of the pressure of education and culture and our family. Lord, often we lose sight of the vision and the commission that you have granted to us. I pray this morning that you would bring it to us afresh. Strengthen us, O oh God, we pray. Thank you for the power of the resurrection that is at work in each one of us to be able to effectively witness for you through our lives and our words. And I pray that that will be true for every one of us as we go into this week and into this world. Dismiss us now with your blessing. In the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.